Good morning, everyone. Um, this season, as we've celebrated for the last um, four Sundays, Advent, we've talked about how Advent is a season of waiting, the season of expectations, but also a season of celebration as we reflect on Christ's birth into our world, as we reflect on the miracle of Emmanuel, God with us, that the God of the universe not only took on flesh and blood, but he moved into our neighborhood, he moved into our world, he moves into our lives. Advent, the word itself in the Greek and the Latin talks about the second coming. Um, but this month, when we think of it, we think about not just the return of the king, but the first coming of the king. That Christ fulfilled God's promises of old by coming to us anew. The themes of Advent in this church that we celebrate are hope, peace, joy, and love. For hope, we learned that hope was trusting in God. And we looked at Mary and her story and how God chose Mary to bring hope into the world. And we challenge ourselves with that same calling that God has chosen us to bring hope into the world. For peace, we looked at Anna. We said peace is making things right or the world being as it should be. But what we learned from Anna's journey and Anna's story is that God has given us peace, not just for ourselves so we can sleep at night, but that's so we can give it to our world. Peace bears fruit and we're called to bear fruit. Then last week we looked at Elizabeth and we talked about joy. And we said joy is simply celebrating God's blessings. And what a reminder that in a joyless world, we who are full of joy are meant to give joy. And one of the ways you can give joy to your world is simply just celebrating the good God's done for you. But this morning we're going to talk about love. And as we talk about love, we're going to answer it simply by saying love is Christ in us, Christ for us, and Christ with us. Let's begin in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you, for you chose to dwell in us. Lord, we exalt you, for you live for us. Lord, we magnify you, for you walk with us. God, where we lack, your love shepherds us. God, where we are broken, your love makes us whole. God, where we doubt, your love assures us. Christ in all of us, is you, God, choosing us to bring your son into this world. Christ for all of us is you, God, choosing to make peace for us and through us. Christ with all of us is you, God, blessing us to be a blessing to all others. Spirit, bless our hope in you. Spirit, grow our peace from you. Spirit, give us even more joy from you. God of love, thank you for perfectly loving us. Amen. A scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 2. We've already read it a couple times. You had it in the Advent reading, but you also had it with the children's story this morning. One of the things that strikes me about Luke 2 is it's a very, very familiar story, but one that I think every time we listen to it, one of the most incredible things about God is you can read something over and over and he always has something new. For me, kind of a pivotal moment for Luke 2 was, you know, in our household on, on Christmas Day, we had um, a bunch of traditions that I'm fairly certain my mom would just make up to make us, like, not open the presents at 7 a.m. And every year there was a new tradition we didn't know it was a tradition. So I, I, I didn't grow up very much thinking highly of Christmas traditions. Um, yet when Shell and I were dating, I remember we had our, our, our first Christmas with her side of the family. And I remember we were all gathering around, and I was just like, oh, tradition. This is fun. I just want to open the presents, you know? Um, but I remember, though, that, you know, her dad pulls out this, um, this old Bible, which I'm pretty sure is older than I am, um, which is amazing because Shell's family loves old books. You know, they have books from like 400 years. And I think I'm finally in the book, so that's exciting. I'm pretty sure I'm the only black person in the book. At least that's why I keep telling myself because I like to feel important. But it's 400 years, and I'm in there, so that's exciting. Um, 
But what I what I was sitting there, we're sitting around this circle, and and Chell's dad opens to Luke chapter two. And so their tradition before opening the presents was reminding of the great gift that God's given us in his son. So they read through Luke 2. And I was first struck by the fact that they're reading it in the King James Version, you know, and I was just like, oh, this is serious, right? But as he kept reading, I started looking around the room, and what was fascinating was everyone except me was reciting the words to Luke 2. And I thought to myself that day, I was like, that's a really cool tradition, and that's something that I was like, oh, we should do that in church. Let's read Luke 2 every Christmas, so we're going to do it. Um, but I also thought about as a family, you know, that would be a cool thing to pass on. Luke 2, again, is this very, very familiar passage. We read about this census that's happening that Joseph, you know, in the, the first service, the kid said Joseph was his favorite because they married Mary. You know, and we didn't forget about Joseph. We'll look at his story a little bit more in depth next year. But what I love about Joseph is that, you know, he has to go all the way back to Bethlehem because he's from the line of, 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 of David. So he has to go and register. But Mary's very pregnant. You know, they didn't have cars. Only rich people really had donkeys. So there's a good chance that this journey was done on foot. And I thought about Joseph having to stand there and tell Mary, I know, but the government says we got to get counted, right? Nothing like telling a woman right about to have a baby, we got to get counted. So we got to go on this journey. But I thought about their faith. Not just to, to, to be good Roman citizens, but how throughout this journey they had to just keep trusting God. So they go from the village of Nazareth, we call it Oberlin here in central Pennsylvania, and they go to Bethlehem, we can call it Harrisburg, right? They make this long trek, and when they get there, one of the most striking things is that the God of this universe is born in a stable. First service, I said it was a garage, but it's probably better to think of it as a barn. It's a place where the animals dwelled. It's the place where, you know, the animals ate. It's the place where the animals lived and did everything. That's where the God of the universe enters in. And what a strong reminder to us that there's no dirt, there's no murk, murkiness, there's no darkness, there's no ugliness, that God's not willing to enter in and show up and say, I came for you. So he's born in this manger because there's no room for him in the end. He's not born in their version of a hospital. He's not even born in the spare bedroom. He's born in a barn to remind us that no matter what, he's still going to come for us. And I love the shepherds in the story. I love because they woke up that day just doing what they normally do. And what a beautiful reminder to us that God shows up. What a beautiful reminder to us that you don't have to just cry out to God and think you're just calling out to the wall and nothing ever happens. But in your everyday scenes, right, in everything that you normally do, God can show up. He can show up washing the dishes. He can show up taking the dog for a walk. He can show up when you're at work. You know, he can show up when you're sitting there watching TV sometimes. God shows up in our everyday scenes. And these shepherds woke up that morning. They went to watch their flock. And of all the things that happened, an angel came and says, don't be scared, guys. I come with good news. There's a manger Messiah that you must go and see. And I love that the shepherds get this message. And right away, they're so excited. And you know, I don't know much about shepherding. I'm not a shepherd. But I know a good shepherd doesn't leave his sheep. Jesus said that, right? But these shepherds are so excited about the manger Messiah that they're ready to go see him. But yet, before they can go, the angels come and they form one of the most beautiful praise choruses of all time. They sing praises to God because the good news is true. God's promises have been fulfilled. Jesus has come. And then the shepherds go, and they go to Bethlehem. When they go there, they find Mary, they find Joseph, and they find baby Jesus. Everything the angel had said, everything that was promised is now true again. 
And when they get there, what's fascinating is they go and tell. Another reminder to us that what God has done for us, we're supposed to go and tell. Every good thing that God's given you, tell the world about it. We have a world that's increasingly going to deny any fact that you want to give them. We have a world that increasingly is not going to hold on to any truth that God has for them. But this is one thing our world will never deny. That's your story. If God has worked in you, they can't argue that out of you. If God's done a miracle through you, they can't argue that. Right? If God's healed you, if God's carried you, if God sustained you, if God put life in you. They can argue that all you want, but you know it's true. Tell your story. So these shepherds, they go and tell. But what I missed for years and years and years is they go and tell, but then they return. Another reminder to us that, yes, we're supposed to tell all the good things that God's done for us, but never forget to come back and worship the king. Never forget to come back and be filled up again. Never forget to go and tell, but always return to worship Jesus Christ. And Mary's watching all of this, all of this happening around her, treasuring it, reflecting quietly, but praising God nonetheless. In this story, we see lessons of love. We see lessons of love as faithfulness. Faithfulness is Joseph betrothed to Mary and not only staying with Mary, but raising this child as his own and taking her to Bethlehem. We see his faithfulness as a sign of love. But we also see the humble, the humility of Christ's birth, of a God who's willing to come into the murkiness, of a God who's willing to come into the ugliness, of a God who's willing to come when we say there's no room for you. He still shows up. What a humble God we serve. We see love in God sending angels for the shepherds. God coming to our everyday scenes. God showing up when we need him to show up. God showing up when we're not even ready for him to show up. You just do you and God does him and he shows up. What a blessing it is. We see love and God caring enough about those shepherds to show up and tell them about his son coming. But we see love in them experiencing God's faithfulness. Everything the angels said was fulfilled. You know, when you study the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New, every promise that's made about Jesus was also fulfilled. Love is God experiencing God's faithfulness. Is God doing what he says he will do? But I think we also see love in Mary just sitting there taking it all in. A lot of us are good about living, 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 but all of us need to do better at reflecting, at treasuring, at praising God for what he's done. So love from our text this morning is faithfulness, it's humility, it's presence, it's joy, it's fulfilled promises. But from all of scripture, the best definition of love I found is God gifting us his very best. For Mary, it was his son Jesus. For Anna, it was the faithfulness that after decades of you being faithful to God, I'm still going to show up so you can see the king. For Elizabeth, it was after decades of being barren and undoubtedly facing scrutiny from all her world around her. How can the pastor's wife, how can the priest's wife not even have a child? God blesses you with children. But it's still God saying, you know, sometimes I'm going to bless you in other ways. But this time, Elizabeth, I'm going to bless you with that child. But love is also God giving his best to Abraham. I love the story of Abraham. It's a good sign of faith. Whenever I, I try to think about what is faith, I think about Abraham. Faith is God saying, I'm going to send you somewhere. And Abraham saying, where are we going? And God said, I will show you. And Abraham says, yes. Some of us know what God asks us to do. We're not even willing to do that. Abraham didn't have a roadmap. He just had God and that was enough. If God's called you to do something, faith is doing it. But, but love is also God's best in David, right? 
The one who didn't look good on the outside but loved God on the inside. God sees that and makes him king. God sees that and says, my son will come from your line. God sees that and says, generations later, David will still be used and there's a name that will be said, a name that will be treasured. David still lives on. God sees you. And even Isaiah the prophet. Right? He came in a time when Israel was breaking up. He came in a time when the people were turning away from God. And God gave him these promises and promises of the Messiah to come. And we see it in Jesus' name. Now, I was thinking this week about love and how to share about love in a new, fresh way. And I was thinking, you know, I was like, man, this is my first Christmas sermon, but we got to do this every year. How are we going to talk about love? And I was reminded by this short story by Leo Tolstoy called What Men Live By. And one of the things that's most fascinating about Tolstoy is he's very, to me, he's one of the most interesting characters in the world, in the history of the world. And I say that because he is, right? One of the things that Tolstoy did is he has this famous, um, Philip remind me, actually. Um, he has a, a famous letter he called Letter to the Hindus. That letter, in turn, you know, basically, I don't want to say it's the only flow influence, but it was one of the main influences that influenced Gandhi and the nonviolent civil rights movement that happened in India, which in turn influenced Martin Luther King and the nonviolent civil rights that happened here from Tolstoy. Right? Tolstoy is also this guy who wrote a bunch of different books and, and short stories, and he, he sponsored a, a group of Russian Anabaptists, you know, uh, hundreds of years ago. During the time of the Russian Depression, he sponsored over hundreds of shelters and just fed people, right? But he was also this human, right, who struggled and struggled with faith and struggled with love and struggled in his marriage and struggled living and, and being faithful to God. But one of the things I love about Tolstoy is in his writings, you see him always asking these questions. And in the story of what men live by, he tells a story about this angel Michael. Michael is an angel and he has this mission from God and his mission is to, to welcome souls to heaven, right? You might call him the angel of death, but to me that sounds too morbid, right? So Michael welcomes souls to heaven. That's his job. So every day, every day he goes out and he's welcoming people to heaven. One day he gets a mission to welcome this lady who had just had twins to heaven. And Michael goes down, he looks at the lady and he says, I can't do this. Her husband just died a few weeks prior. Now I'm going to make these kids an orphan. I can't do this. So he goes back up to God. and He's like, God, I can't do this. I know my job is to welcome people to heaven, but who's going to take care of these kids? If we just leave them here, who's going to take care of them? And God, instead of getting angry at Michael, says, Michael, I think you need to learn something. I think you need to learn something. So I'm going to give you a little riddle, and you're going to have three questions that I want you to answer, Michael. I want you to answer, what does man, what dwells in people? What is not given to people? And, and what do people live by? So what dwells in people? What is not given to people? And what do people live by? So Michael says, you know what, God, you're right, I guess. You know, I'm just going to go do this thing. But by the time he goes back, you know, Michael wasn't the only one who welcomed people to heaven. There were other angels as well. And because Michael messed up the timing, when the lady um, got, when she lost her life and entered into heaven, she actually is rolling off the bed. And as she's rolling off the bed, she falls on one of her daughters, one of her twin daughters, and cripples the girl's leg. And upon seeing this, Michael, the angel, is so heartbroken. He goes back up to God and says, I just don't get it. I get this riddle on this thing you're doing, but I just don't get how this can happen. And God says, Michael, you have to learn. So then he loses his wings, and he's banished from heaven, and he's sent to this world, and he enters this world broken and naked and hungry, and they have all the places to end up. He ends up on the side of a church just laying there. 
Now, while all this has happened, we're introduced also then to a, to a guy named Simon. Simon was a great man. He was a good man, loved God, was a pious man. But he also struggled. You know, he was a good shoemaker, but he was a terrible businessman. In fact, he was the best kind of shoemaker because he would make you the best quality shoes and you never had to pay him because he just was bad at business, right? So one day, you know, winter's coming. His wife is this homemaker, Matrena, and, and she takes care of the house. She also works on the side, and she has all this money saved up, and she, she has all the coats, and she buys all the coats for the kids. And she goes to Simon, and she's like, Simon, winter's coming. And if you don't know, this is happening in Russia. Russia's cold, right? My mom used to live in Minnesota, and I used to think it was cold here until I call her. I'm like, oh, it's so cold. It's like 20 degrees. She's like, yeah, it's minus 5. I was like, oh, you win. So they're in Russia, and winter's coming. And Matrena says to Simon, I need you to go out and collect at least some of your debts so we can buy coats. And because you're really bad at this, if you just get a little bit, we can at least buy the materials and I'll sew the coats for us, right? All you have to do is go out and get it. So Simon goes, and again, he's a great shoemaker, terrible businessman. He goes, he knocks on doors, knocks on doors, knocks on doors, doesn't get nearly enough what he needs to get to actually buy the coat. Then he doesn't have enough to buy the materials. So finally he goes back and he's walking home and he's so depressed and down on himself, he realizes that, man, I have to go home a failure. I have to go home and explain this to my wife, Matrena. I have to go home and explain how I can't even buy enough coats to cover me and my wife. And out the corner of his eye, he sees a bar. And he looked at the bar in this Russia, so I'm guessing it's vodka, right? So he looked at the bar and he says, you know what? I'm not ready to deal with this. This is going to answer my troubles for the day or at least for the moment. So he walks into the bar. He has a drink. And it warms him because it's freezing outside. Then he has another drink and he starts to realize that I don't have to deal with it. I'm just going to have another drink and another drink. Well, after drinking for a while, he realizes I still got to go home. So he leaves the bar and he's walking out and he sees this pale figure on the side of a church that looks like a naked man. And he does what we do sometimes. You look at him and you're like, what is happening here? You know? So he's like, I'm going to put my head down and try to pretend I don't see him. And he walks right by him and he's going home, kind of practicing his story that he's going to tell his wife. But as he gets closer, he notices the man is not only naked, but he's shivering. He's shivering cold and he just, he just, he just seems like he's broken. So he walks over to him. He says, hey, how's it going? And the guy's like, I'm shivering cold. No, I'm just kidding. He walks over to him. He takes off his jacket and he puts it around him. He had his Russia as cold as layers, so he takes off his clothes, puts his pants on him. He was a shoemaker, so he had an extra pair of boots around his shoulder, puts the shoes on him, and he's walking with this guy. Now, I, I wish I could say that Michael, um, that Simon is doing this to Michael because he's just a nice guy. You know, but I think there's a human aspect of Tolstoy's writings. There's always like the good and the bad all flitting in. I think part of what Simon is thinking is like, you know what? I went all day. I didn't get the money. I spent too many hours in the bar. But if I bring this guy, look how good I am, honey. So he gets home and he's walking home with Michael. And Michael's so cold and he's so confused and he's hungry and, and he's, just, he's just cold and they're walking down. They're stumbling. Simon, because he's drunk. Michael, because he's cold and hungry and weak. And his wife sees them from afar. And all she sees is she sees these two fumbling people coming towards them. She recognizes her husband and knows right away, oh, my gosh, he's drunk. All I sent them out was to collect a little bit of money to buy the coats or at least the materials, and he's coming home drunk. And as they get closer, she's like, oh, great, he brought a friend. It's just like we sent him out for a little bit of money, and he brought his drunk friend. This is awesome, you know? So, so she does what every, you know, good hospitality person does, right? They come in, she's like, hey, nice to meet you, great, yeah, yeah. But then she sits them down, and I almost picture it as, you know, you know how when you serve, but you don't serve well? You know, when you get down, it's like, here's your plate. You just sit there. 
You know, it's just like, here's your water, right? And I imagine she's doing some of that. But then the, 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 the turning point here is then she goes to her husband. It's like, honey, we need to have a talk. You know that talk? That's what they had, you know? So they go into the other room, and the, the Michael's just sitting there, and honey, we need to have a talk, and they have this talk. And she chews him out a little bit, lays into him. And she's like, what are you doing? You know? And finally, you know, he tries to play the pious card, the good card, and says, I, I was just, you know, like I, I saw him, and he needed food, so I, so I brought him, you know? And she's like, but, but what about the money? You collect any of the money? He goes, no. So, so did you buy any of the materials? No. He goes, oh, and one more thing, honey. I knew I wasn't going to get all the money, so some of that money you've been saving up, I took it to try to, like, help, and that still wasn't enough. Because she's a loving wife, she looks at him and, you know, probably says a few more choice words, you know. But then they go into the other room. As they go in the other room, they sit down, and she's still steaming. You know, how can her husband do this to him? But then she looks at Michael, and he's holding the food like he's never held food before. And he's putting it to his lips and, and trying to figure out this thing called chewing, right? But it seems like when he's eating the food, it's the first time he's ever ate it. And it just seems there's this joy that seems to be radiating from him. And she couldn't, the first thing she felt was pity, you know? Because she's like, I was so worried about me. Here's someone who's cold and hungry and starving, and we can actually feed him. And Michael then looks up, and he sees that the look from Matrena's face has moved from pity to now this thing that he doesn't know. And he keeps staring at her and staring at her, and he realizes, oh, my goodness, it's love. They are loving me. They might have had ulterior motives, but they're loving me. And even though he hadn't said much to, to Simon or Matrena, he looks up at the love that's in her eyes, and he just gives this goofy smile, right? And Simon looks over, and she's like, stop smiling at my wife. What's wrong with you? That part's not in the story. That's my uh, annotated bibliography. I added that part. But she smiles at him, and, and he's just looking at this goofy smile and just like, what are you doing? But he's just so happy. So he eats his food. He goes to bed, and he sleeps. And overnight, um, Simon gets this great idea. It's like, I don't know anything about him. I don't know his story. I don't know where he's coming from. I just know that he's cold and hungry. He has nothing. But I know that we can do something for him. So Simon then invites him and says, you know, I've been looking for an assistant. I need an assistant. I need someone who's going to help me around the shop to make the shoes and learn the business. And he's probably thinking someone to help me collect, you know. I, I need someone. So he makes this offer to Michael, and Michael takes it. He says, yes, I would love to work for you. And he does this for a couple years. He does this, and then the business starts to grow a little bit. It starts to grow so much that there's a nobleman who, who shows up, and he, and he comes in all his pomp and circumstance. And this nobleman was very rich, so I call him rich. So Rich, the nobleman who was very rich, shows up, and he has all these things that he has. He wants his special kind of boots, right? It's Russia, so I'm guessing you need high boots in Russia. I don't know. But he wants these special kind of boots, and he has these directions. They have to be a certain length. They have to be a certain kind of leather. They have to not get loose for a year. It's got to be perfectly patented leather, everything. So he goes through everything, and, 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 and you know, Simon is like writing everything, writing everything down, and he looks out the corner of his eye, and he sees Michael. And that's that goofy laugh again. That's that goofy smile. And he's just thinking to himself, it's just like, this ain't love. Like, what's happening? Why, why are you smiling at this old man who wants so much for me to do? Like, you know, you're smiling, so why don't you handle this, right? So he gives him the paper. He gives him the instructions. He's like, I'm going to go do something else. You just get started on the boots, right? Michael takes the notes. He puts it down, forgets about it. He starts, instead of making these thigh-high boots that are perfectly patented, that aren't going to get loose, he makes some slippers. And he works really hard on it, and they're beautiful slippers. And, and, and Mike, uh, Simon comes back, and he says, Michael, um, we needed boots. Like, it was supposed to make boots, not, not, not slippers. Like, why did you make slippers? And before Michael could say a word, there was a knock on the door. 
And Simon rushes upstairs, and he noticed that this nobleman, rich, the rich nobleman, always comes with the pomp and circumstance. He rushes upstairs, and he recognizes the messenger, and the messenger says, I come with a message. Rich, the nobleman, died last night in his sleep. So those boots that he wanted for a year from now are not what he needs. What he needs are some slippers so we can put them in his casket. And before he could say what we needed, some slippers, Michael had come up and just handed him the slippers. And Simon looks at him. He realizes there's something about this Michael. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. A couple more years go by. Michael's getting better at the business. The business is thriving. And a lady shows up. She shows up out of the blue and she says, winter is coming and I need shoes for my daughters. But I need you to, it's got to be a special order. They're two, they're twins, so it has to be two sets of shoes that are the same size. But you see, my other daughter is crippled, so I need a special kind of boot for her leg. And, and Michael looks at it and he's thinking, no, this can't be. He looks at her and he says, no, this can't be. And he walks over to her and does something you're never supposed to do. And he says, are these your children? And she's like, yeah, they're my children. And he goes, no, 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 no. Like, did you birth these children? Like, did you actually birth these children? And she goes, no, no, I did not birth these children. But you know what? I love these children. I remember their story, and when I first heard about it, I heard about how they lost their mother. Then I heard about how they lost their father. And I couldn't think of them suffering in an orphanage. So I decided I'm just going to take these children and raise them as my own. And Michael looks at her, and he just starts fighting the tears because it dawns upon him. What lives inside of men is love. What men don't know or what men don't know they need is we make our plans, but we don't, we're not guaranteed that next breath. But also what sustains us is love. So he goes back and he says to Simon, Simon, I think it's time to go. I think God has taught me something. What dwells in people is love. And I learned it when I was cold, when I was hungry, when I was tired. You and your wife took me in and you fed me and you loved me and you gave me a job. Thank you for loving me. But I also know, and then Simon says, but you only smiled two other times that you were with us. Why were you smiling at Rich the nobleman when he was about to die? He said, I smiled not because he was about to die. I smiled because I recognized my friend, the angel who welcomes people to heaven. But I smiled because you as humans are really good about making your plans, are really good about planning for your future, are really good about telling God what's going to happen, or making your list and checking it twice. But none of you is guaranteed another breath. So all of you need to live with every breath that you have with love. And then he says, but what about the lady? And he says, I learned from that lady that no matter what the darkness, no matter what the brokenness, no matter what the story, no matter what's happening, that God has given you as humans love. And if you love each other, there is no darkness you can't shine a light into. There's no person who needs to be forsaken. There's no kid that needs to not have parents. I learned from you that love, God gives it to you, but for each other. So our lesson this morning is simply this. What is love? It's God giving us his best. But love is also Christ in us. It's Christ for us, and it's Christ with us. Love is Christ in us. Like Mary, God chose us to bring his son into this world. But like Matrena, God's love lives in us. And if we're willing to look past our own needs, if we're willing to look past our own complaints, if we're willing to look past everything that seems to be weighing us down, if we're willing to look past the fact that our husband is a terrible businessman and he got drunk and he brought home another drunk, if we're willing to look past everything that's holding us back and just love, if we're willing to just love, then we're willing to look like our Christ.
Love is Christ in us, and he made all of us to share his love with the world. So I'm not saying what holds you down isn't going to hold you down, and I am going to tell you that you can conquer it, but I'm saying whatever holds you down, if you choose to love, God can use you to bless this world. Love is Christ in us. But love, love is also Christ for us. You know, God so loved us that he sent his son. God so loved us that he sent the spirit. God so loves this world that he now sends the spirit and he sends the church. God's love is for us. Our hope, our peace, our joy is from Jesus who loves. So maybe this morning you need to be reminded that Jesus so loves you that he came into this world. That no matter what darkness you're in, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you can't get your arms around, no matter what need you have this morning, Christ can come to you. But maybe you need to know that God's love is Christ showing you how to live in a way to please God. And maybe that needs to remind you that no matter what sin you've done, no matter what bad thing you've done, no matter what brokenness is inside of you, that God can heal that because God came to show you how to live to please him. Christ can come to you this morning. Or maybe you need to know that Christ came to die for you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. Or maybe you've asked him to forgive you of your sins, but you haven't forgiven yourself. Or maybe you think he's Lord, but he's not Lord of your life. Either way, Christ died for you this morning. Make him Lord of your life. Make him Lord of your life today. Today is the day of salvation. Or maybe you need to know that Christ is resurrected. Maybe you need to know that God is alive this morning, that we serve a God who's living and breathing this morning, that no matter what death that you're feeling inside or outside, no matter what's weighing you down, God can raise you up out of that and resurrect you from that. Or maybe you need to know that God's love exists in the fact that the God of this universe who came, who lived, who died, who was resurrected, now sits on the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you. Maybe you need to know that God is on your side this morning, that Christ is for you this morning. And maybe you need a mediator this morning. Call out to him. Call out to him. Call out to him because he would love to keep praying for you. Christ is for us. How blessed are we? Or maybe we need to know this morning, maybe we need to know this morning that love is Christ with us. Remember Anna, remember all those years of dedicated service to God, all those years of going to the temple, worshiping God, loving others, all those years of being faithful, God showed up for her and he can show up for you. Remember Elizabeth, all those years of prayers and praying quietly and silently, God will answer your prayers. God will always answer your prayers because he'll fulfill his promises to you. Or maybe we need to just remember Elizabeth and celebrate God's blessings with joy. Or maybe we need to remember this lady from our story this morning. I call her Grace. Maybe we need to remember that, yes, this world is broken, but God wants you to help him make it whole. That, yes, this world has darkness, but God calls you to be the light. That, yes, there's darkness, there's murkiness, there's struggles, there's kids, there's, there's all these things that's happening in our world. But God still wants to use you to bring that light. God wants to use you to bring that joy. God wants to use you to bring that peace. Elizabeth and Grace, Grace learned, you know, I can sit here and say these kids are abandoned, or I can pray to God and God can help me raise them as my own. I can sit here and complain about all the things that's wrong with the world, or I can say, God, here I am, send me. 
Love is what sustains us. Love is what God poured in us. And if we're willing to love like God calls us to love, we can change our world. The message of Christmas is Christ has come. The message for you this morning is God has called you to love. When you go out and love, when you go out and love, when you go out and love, you will look like your Christ. Love is sharing our peace with our world. Love is celebrating and practicing joy. Love is this great gift from God to grace our world. Jesus himself says, they will know you are my disciples by your love. So my prayer for us as a congregation, as a family, is that every single one of us are known in our relationships, are known in our workplaces, are known in our schools, are known in our neighborhoods, are known with every word and deed, every interaction. We're known as the church and the people who love. Let us take that mantle. If we want to show the world Jesus, we have to love. Let us be characterized not by the words or how much we know. Let us be characterized by the love that God pours in us. Let us be characterized by the mercy, the compassion, the grace. Let us be a people who are willing to love because if we want to look like Jesus, we have to love. So love is gifting us, his, God gifting us his very best. So I want to end with four quick questions for you. Do you love God? And does your life prove it? And are you gifting God your very best? Does your world know it? It's easy to sit here this morning and say you love God. But it might be a little bit harder to say, does my life prove it? When I sit there and I do the assessment, you know, Mary always treasured things in her heart and did this reflection. When I reflect, we're getting to the end of the year, so it's almost time for reflecting for some of us, right? But when you look at your life, does your love of God only come from your tongue or does it really come from your heart? Does it really come from how you live? Does it really come from how you love? Is your love of God just what you say or what you live? Do you love God? And does your life prove it? This one used to haunt me, but now it just excites me but are you really gifting God your very best? God has blessed us with everything that we need in this church. God has blessed us with every gift that we need in this church, every skill, every ability that we need. And I'm not just talking about 2217 Dairy Street. I'm talking about our region. I'm talking about our city. I'm talking about our world. God has blessed us with everything we need, but we need to stop shortchanging God this morning. If there's something that God's blessed you with, why are you not using it for him? If there's a gift that God's given you, why are you not using it for him? If there's a resource that God's given you, why are you not using it for him? You're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. Stop shortchanging your God this morning because you're blessed to be a blessing. Has God gifted you with something and are you fully giving him your very best? And I think that's a question that should excite us, but that's a question that we should get to the drawing board every single day and say, God, how am I giving you my very best? And because if you're giving God your very best, I guarantee you, your world will know it. In Advent, we remember hope. Trusting God and knowing that God chooses us to bring his son into the world. In Advent, we remember peace. That though our world is not as it should be, God makes the world as it should be. And he wants us to share that peace with our world. In Advent, we remember joy. And we say we just need to celebrate God's blessings. And we as Christians are going to commit to joy. And we're going to commit to celebrating God's blessings. But above all things, above all things, above all things, there's love. God gifted us on Christmas Day his very best in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. We are to do the same. We are to be defined by our love. 
all of us. What dwells in us is the love God's put in God. What dwells in us is the love God's put in us. What we need are not our plans and to check it twice. What we need is to realize that with every breath we have, that's a blessing, and we need to use all those breaths to bless God and bless our world. But we also need to remember that as a church, as a congregation, as a family, as a body of Christ, it's love that sustains us. And if we're willing to love, there's nothing that God can't carry us through. We're going to end our service this morning with communion. I love the communion table because it's not just a, a foretaste of what is to come, but it's a reminder that our God so loved us. It's a reminder that our God freely, willingly, and lovingly went to Calvary Street for us, but it's a reminder that we're in this together. I love this communion. We're going to do it in a circle, and Pastor Linda's going to give us a little bit of direction for that. But as you come to this table this morning, please be reminded that God calls you to love. And as you take the bread and as you take the cup, be reminded that God so loved you, now go and love.